thank you, God, for tonight and the time of worship that we've had. Uh, Lord, it's been good to just have fun and to relax on a Wednesday night and just God, just be a family. And what a great time that is. Lord, but I know that you need to speak to someone's heart tonight. God, there may be somebody here that doesn't understand the truth of what you did on the cross for them. And I pray for that person right now. God, I pray that you would open their eyes. I pray that you would let them see, maybe for the first time ever, God, just how much love you showed on the cross. God, we're looking in the Old Testament, and I know sometimes people tend to zone out when we look at an Old Testament passage. God, I know they have the tendency to maybe look the other way or think this doesn't apply to them. God, but I know the truth. And the truth is, God, that you can speak to us through this book because of your power and your Holy Spirit. And God, you have the ability to change lives through these words. So God, I pray that you do that now. God, there are some people here that, that maybe they feel discouraged. They feel without hope. I pray that you show them hope. I pray that you show them that there is a path for them. God, that there's a way for them. God, that they're not without hope. God, that there is a way for them. God, however you need to work in the hearts and lives of people right now, I pray that you would do that. God, I know that we're called just simply to, to share. And I pray that that's what happens. God, and that you do the work. God, you do the work in their hearts. And we'll be sure to give you the glory for all that happens. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, we've been in the book of Isaiah. We'll continue there tonight. I'm going to give you a refresher. But first, I need to take a minute to deal with my OCDness. Now all is right with the world. We can continue on. I don't have this lopsided feeling anymore where I'm leaning this way because that light is not on, you know. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not that bad. I'm close, but I'm not that bad. Um, I, I, uh, I'm struggling a little bit tonight, admittedly. Uh, I had Thai food from a gas station for lunch. I swore to myself I wouldn't do that on Wednesdays anymore. Uh, but for whatever reason, I chose to... And everybody's like, what? Thai food from a gas station? Yes, there's a great place in Hoover, the Hoover Food Mart... Uh, right on Lorna Road that sells Thai food out of a gas station. I know what you're thinking, right? You're insane. You're crazy. You will die, son. No, this is good food. It's on AL.com. Everything you read on the internet is true, right? So AL.com said so this is like one of the top five Thai restaurants in, in all of Birmingham. So I've been there several times. Me and my friends, we go there for lunch many times. We call it, because it's a gas station and they sell Thai food, we call it Gas and Gas. So we, we think that's a good name for it. So you want to go to Gas and Gas today? Yeah, sure, I'm in. So I think I may have OD'd today on Rolades. I don't know if that's possible or not. But if you see me take a sip of water, that's what it is. I'm dealing with Thai food up here, okay? So uh, I'm trying to struggle through that, but I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm going to make it. I know that I, the Lord will provide for antacid from heaven. You know what I mean? Like, like manna from heaven, God will provide antacid from heaven. So anyway... We've been in Isaiah. We've been looking at what God has to say to us through the book of Isaiah. And to be very honest with you, it's, it's hard for me to, to like pick and choose certain passages that we're going to look at and not go and, and, and do all the passages, you know, because they're all really good. This particular passage has something in there that is often misinterpreted. I've even been victim of saying this and not really saying it in context. There's a passage in here in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11 that we're going to look at. And a lot of times... We use this particular passage out of, or this particular verse out of context many times, so we'll talk about that. Um, but here's what's going on in Isaiah. 
Uh, the people of Israel, they're, they're bad. They're doing bad stuff, right? you never heard of that before, right? The people of Israel doing bad stuff. Here is no exception, right? So this is some 700 years before Jesus is ever born. The people of Israel are doing bad stuff. God says, you know what? In order to show you that I love you, I'm going to have to send you into exile. That's what a lot of people, that, that, that's what is used a lot in the, in, in the Bible to talk about them being taken out of their homeland. They're, they're made like slaves for the, some other people. And it's all for the purpose of God showing them that he loves them, right? You're like, what? Do what? So he's going to make us slaves to show us that he loves us. Well, the purpose is, is because sometimes that has to happen in our lives, right? Sometimes we need a wake-up call so that we recognize just where we are in our lives, the fact that we're doing stupid stuff and we've gotten away from God, and God gives us a wake-up call sometimes. Has that ever happened to you where God says, hey, wake up. you got to see what's going on here. You're missing it. You, you thought that you were doing everything okay, and, and you thought, well, I just slip over here, and I'll do my own thing for a little while, and it, yeah, I know that it displeases God sometimes, and I know that I'm breaking God's heart when I do this thing over here sometimes, but it'll be okay, right? I still kind of sort of, I love God, and I try my best to be there on Sundays, and I'm there about one Sunday out of three, so that's pretty good, you know? I'm trying to do the right thing, and God has to bring a wake-up call in our life to go, hey, wake up. This, this relationship that you think you have with Jesus, it's not real. You don't really have a relationship with me. And he sends them off into captivity. And, and, and this is what Isaiah, he's, he's warning them. He's talking about how vile and how awful they are and the fact that God's got to send them into captivity. And then we read in Isaiah 53, 54 last week how God sent a Messiah just like boom, out of the blue, you know, God sends this Messiah, that, that's a savior. That's somebody that's going to make everything okay. He's going he's gonna to do something, right? And, and we read this, and it's talking about Jesus. Isaiah is talking to these people, and he's talking to them about how they need to be rescued. They need to be saved. And he goes, and he's actually starting to talk about the future, and he's starting to talk about a future Messiah that is to come, and he's going to save the people of Israel. But he's going to save all of us, right? We talked about how that, that when the Bible talks about the people of Israel, because we are children of Abraham through Jesus Christ, that he's talking about us. And, and this is what it says. He says, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him. This is in Isaiah 50, 53, actually. He says, it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made a sin, an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. And this is what he says. He says, this Messiah that's going to come, he's going to be made a sin offering. And he is going to have many, many, many descendants. He's going to have many children. Uh, children, uh, descendants of Jesus, which would be those that put their faith and trust in Jesus, have a relationship with God. There are going to be many of those that will do this over time for generations and generations and generations to come. It's not just for the Israelites, it's for everybody. And it's God's plan to crush him. You know, I, I want you to understand something. I was having a discussion about this with somebody the other day, and, and I, I think that it needs to be said from up here. So a lot of people will say, and you'll hear it preached a lot of times, well, you know what Jesus had on his mind when he was on the cross, right? Well, I was on his mind when Jesus was on the cross. That, that I, was, I was what was, Jesus was thinking about when he was on the cross. Let me say this, to a degree, I will agree with that statement that Jesus Christ was paying the penalty for sin, and he was doing it for all of us, yes. But you know what was the primary focus of Jesus when he was on the cross? 
You know what his primary desire to do was? It was to fulfill the plan of his father. It was to do his father's will. It was to do the will of God, which was to be sacrificed for all of mankind. His father was what was on his mind. Not so much you and I. Remember what he said in the garden. He said, God, if there's, Father, if there's any way you can take this suffering away from me, this cup of suffering away from me, would you do that? And he says, but thy will be done. He said, but at the same time, God, I want your will to be done for me. That's what's most important in my life right now, God, is that you do what you got to do in my life. Boy, if only we prayed like that, right? God, even if I have to endure suffering, if your will be done, then that's what I want, God. Just you do what you have to do in my life, even if it means suffering has to come my way. God, your will be done in my life. But we don't pray that way. We say, God, make it easy for us, don't we? God, please, 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 just don't make me do anything hard. Yeah, I, 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 I just don't want to have to suffer. Do whatever you want to do in my life, just don't make me suffer. Because I don't want to do that. God, I give you a blank check with my life. You can do whatever you want to. Just don't make me go through pain in order to, for you to cash that check. That's what we say, isn't it? We may not say that out loud, but that's really what's going on in the back of our mind. And here Jesus says, God, I don't want to go through the suffering. I don't want to go through the pain, he says, but ultimately I want your will to be done and not my will. That's the most important thing. It says it was the Lord's good plan. It was a good plan to crush him, is what it says in Isaiah chapter 53. He goes on to say, listen to what he, listen to what he says about this Messiah. Listen to what he says in, in chapter 53, 54. He says, fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more, there is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. This is Jesus. Because it was God's good plan to crush him. That's the reason that we don't have to have any fear anymore. That's the reason we don't have to live in shame anymore. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. I want to preach to you tonight. Isaiah chapter 55. And I, I'm going I'm to say this again just like I said last week. Man, this stuff's hard, all right? It's not, even, not only hard to understand sometimes, but it's hard to hear. Sometimes it, it like, it, it just grips your heart and just like squeezes it like a grape is what it does. And, and sometimes you even go, man, I don't even know if I'm saved or not. I don't even know how I'm a child of God, a born-again child of God. I don't know that. Well, maybe, just maybe you're not. I don't know, man. Talk to God about it. Go and get down your face before God and just beg him to show you. But, but just let the words do what they do, man. Don't resist it. Just, just say, you know what, God, you show me. You show me. Let your words speak to me. So here, I, I, this, he's talking about the Messiah. I, I, just, I can't get past the fact that Isaiah is talking about the Messiah and all these things. He's talking about the Messiah that will come 700 years before he ever shows up on the scene. And he's, he's talking about it. Listen to how Isaiah chapter 55 starts. If this is not glorious, I don't know what is. If this is not amazing, I don't know what is. Is anyone thirsty? Is anyone thirsty? Let me say, listen to me. Listen to me for just a second. I know it's a Wednesday night. It's the middle of the week. You've been, you've been bogged down with, with school and with work and with just garbage and family stuff and and relationship stuff and all that, and, and, and it's like it's tearing you apart maybe, okay? 
Let me ask you this question that Isaiah starts chapter 55 with. He says, is there anyone thirsty? Is there anybody thirsty? The Messiah that is to come, that he's going to pay the penalty to be crushed because it was the Lord's good plan for him to be crushed. Is anybody thirsty? Anyone? That anyone can come to God? Now, I want you to understand something about when he says this. When Isaiah says this, he's not just talking about the Israelites. He's talking about anyone. You know why I know that? Because it says anyone. Do you know how revolutionary that would have been to the people that would have heard that? that they, they would have said, well, I thought that this God was just for, for Israel. I thought he was just, just our God and not anybody else's God. And Isaiah says, anyone. Anyone. You know what that means? You know what that means for you and I? The good news is that means us, right? The, good, the really good news is that that means us. us uh, the ones that are still afraid and, uh, and ashamed of our youth, those people that are in this room that haven't surrendered their heart and life to God, those people that are sitting here and you, you're scared right now because you know what I'm telling you the truth, it's for you. The good news is it's for you. But you know what it, it the even better news than that is it's for all the people that you hate that are back at school and at work and the boyfriend or girlfriend that stabbed you in the back or broken your heart. It's for them too. It's for all the people that you hate. It's for all the people you don't want it to be for. I, I said this on Sunday, and it bothered so many people, I'm going to say it again. In John chapter 11, we read about the woman at the well that, that she was a foreigner and, and the Jews weren't even supposed to like her. And she was an adulteress and all this kind of stuff. And I say, everybody likes to hear about this woman at the well receiving grace. I said, unless she sinned against you, unless she's sleeping with your husband. And then you don't really like to hear about her receiving grace then. But Isaiah says anyone. You know what, you know what he means by anyone? He means anyone. Is anyone thirsty? Is anyone thirsty? He gives an invitation. He gives an invitation. This is God speaking through the person of Isaiah. He says, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Come and drink. If that doesn't bring tears to your eyes, if that doesn't shock your soul to read Isaiah saying, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. You really need to check yourself. If it doesn't do something in your stomach and in your heart when you hear Isaiah say these words, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. You need to take a deep, close look at your soul. Oh, but it's better. It's better. Look what he says. He says, even if you have no money, come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. This is, this is what he says. You know what you have to offer to God? You know what, what you have? This Messiah that's to come, that's to be crushed because God wanted him to be. The purpose of, of, of being a sin offering for you, paying the penalty for your sins. Do you know what you have in order to be able to, to pay to receive that kind of mercy and grace that God has to give out to you? Do you know what money you have in your hands? Do you know what, what ability you have to be able to give to God in order to be able to be a recipient of this great and wonderful wine and milk that, is, that is God has given you and, and giving you right out of his own hands? You know what you have to give? You have nothing. You, you've, you've earned zero. 
If you look at all of your goodness and all that you are and all the good things that you did, all they add up to is nothing. You have zero money. You have zero goodness. And God says, come and drink. God says, everyone, come and drink. Milk and honey, you got your, uh, milk and, wa- and wine, you've got your choice. Come and take the finest that the land has to offer. Come and get the best. You don't have to settle for water. You come and drink the milk. You come and drink the wine. You get the best stuff. And you know what you got to pay for it with? Nothing. Nothing. He said, it's okay. It's all free. It's all free. This is revolutionary. This concept of having the best and the finest and paying for it with nothing yeah, it's revolutionary today. It was revolutionary back then. You think, man, if I'm going to get the best, I've got to pay something for it. And God says, you know what you got? You know what you got to offer me? You've got nothing. But you can have the best. You can have the best. You know what you deserve? You deserve the worst, but you can have the best. Come and drink. Anyone, come and drink. He says, man... You're foolish with what you're spending your, your, your time, your money, your energy on. Listen to what he says. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that, that does you no good? Listen to me. And you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. You know what they're pouring all their time and their energy into? False gods, false idols, things that would just consume their time but had no real benefit. Things that that just ate up all their resources. That's where they were spending all their money. Think about this in your life. How does this apply to me? This is great. Isaiah's talking about them eating food and we're talking about something else. How does this apply to me? Think about all the time and energy and money and all these other things that you spend pouring into. Think about all the wasted relationships that you have poured into. The boyfriends and the girlfriends that you have texted endlessly. There's 50 million text messages that have flown back and forth. Because you care so much for this other person that you love them so deeply. You'll forever be in love with You're going to marry them one day. And then six months later, you don't even know who they are. You've blocked them on Instagram. You don't care what they have to say. Well, what are you doing? You, you, you're, you're spending all your time and all your energy and all this, all this junk that it's not going to give you strength. It's not going to accomplish anything. He says, he says, here, you've got the finest wine and milk, and it's all at your disposal. You don't have to pay a single thing for it, and you're spending all your time, all your energy, and all your, your, your strength and your money on stuff that's going to be consumed by fire. It's not going to make a hill of beans at the end. How much time are you invested in God? Your relationship with God, really. How much time are you investing? Any at all? Any? I, I mean, it's next to zero. People feel really good about coming to church on Wednesday nights, man. They think, man, I could just about walk on water because I am so holy because I came to church on a Wednesday night. Praise God you're here on Wednesday night. I do. I applaud you because nobody else is doing it, all right? Nobody, uh, Wednesday night services... It's supposed to be you go play basketball, then you go home, okay? And maybe somebody will read a passage of Scripture out of the Bible. Here at Simple Church, we don't do it that way. It's actually, yeah, we have fun and we do games and stuff like that, but this is about Jesus. Our website is simply about Jesus.com, and that's the reason is because this is about Jesus 
and that's what we're going to do, and that's what we're going to be about. So you can go to any number of youth groups out there that are going to spend Wednesday nights playing basketball, playing volleyball, playing dodgeball, and then they go home, and that's fine. But I'm telling you, that's all worthless and useless, and all you're doing is trying to find a boyfriend or girlfriend, and that's the only reason you're going? Don't do that. Don't come here for that purpose. You come here because of Jesus. Come here because of Jesus. This is your, you, and people feel, man, I am so holy because I come on a Wednesday night. How much time, relatively speaking, are you spending with Jesus even if you count Wednesday nights for an hour, I mean, how much time, how much energy are you investing in your relationship with Jesus compared to your relationship with other people or, or your, your relationship with other things? I mean, how much time does he get, really? Uh, how does it stack up? Where's Jesus on the scale of everything else? It's like, he gets this little bit down here. It's like, well, I come every other Sunday sometimes, and I come Wednesday sometimes. And, you know, I got a Bible that's got some dust on it, and I, you know, I got a Bible app that I downloaded one time, and it... I looked at it for a week, and then I put it down, and like, how much time are you investing in that relationship? Are you investing in everything else? It's going to not mean anything later. Not mean anything later. May God's word speak to you. He gives another invitation. Look at what he says. He says in verse 1, come and drink. He says, come and take your choice of wine or milk. And he says, I mean, he keeps giving this invitation over and over again. He just says, come, come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. This is what he says. He says, come and listen. He says, and I'm going to make a covenant with you. What, what is this? He says, he says I'm, going to, I'm going to give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. This is what he says. Now, you remember that Jesus came through the bloodline of David, right? So David was a king in Israel. He was a powerful king. I mean, he, he got stuff done that nobody else could really get done. And he conquered lots of other surrounding areas. That, that I mean, like David was the man, right? Like... And, and, and David got stupid, did some stupid stuff. We know that about David. He had an affair. He got some dude killed as a result of that affair. But God forgave David. David was, is a man who is known in the Bible as somebody who was after God's own heart. David was, was promised that, that the Messiah would come through his bloodline, that, that one of his descendants would be the Messiah. And we know that that's the case. We know that, that Mary was one of the descendants of David, and we know that, 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 that God kept his promise, his, his promise of unfailing love, his promise of not being deserting David, the promise of, of, of keeping his promise to him and what he's going to continue to do through David. His promise of unfailing love. And, and, and here, I believe God is trying to remind us, you know, that promise that I made to you, I'm going to keep it. Isn't that good? Isn't that good that, that God keeps his word? That, 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 that even in, in spite of, of us rejecting and rejecting and rejecting, God keeps saying, come, come to me, come to me, come and listen. Come and let, let, let your ears be open to the fact 
that I've given you promises, and they're here for you to take a hold of. Just come and listen. Just come. I got unfailing love for you, just like I did for David. Faithful, promised love that doesn't go away. See how I used him to display my power among the peoples and made him a leader among the nations? You also will command nations you do not know. This is specifically talking of Jesus. And the peoples unknown to you will, be, will come running to obey because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, made you glorious. Listen to what he says. So he's given this invitation constantly. Come, come, come. And this is what he says in verse 6. Seek the Lord when you can still find him. Seek the Lord while you can still find him. You know what I think? You know what I think God's using Isaiah to say here? I really believe that the purpose of, of this, particular, this particular verse in my own mind as I was reading and I was looking at, at this invitation over and over again. Come, come, come. And I believe Isaiah is trying to drive home the point here that there's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of you need to do it now. There's a sense of you don't need to, to wait any longer. If you're going to come, if he's giving you the invitation, you need to seek him while he can still be found. You, you need to stop acting like there's going to be time later on down the road. And you need to stop acting like there may be a point in the future where you can receive this invitation. You need to come now. He says, he says you need to come soon. He says, seek him while you can find him. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish every thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord and have mercy on them. Yes, turn to your God. He will forgive generously. I got to say something here. What have we reduced the gospel down to in most churches? I think it is so critical that we see there's an invitation given. Isaiah is showing that God is saying to come to him. Uh, Isaiah is saying you need to do this. You need to be urgent in it. You need to do it quickly. You need to find him while he's still near. You need to find him while, while he can still be found. But look at what he says. He says, let the wicked, let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may mercy, have mercy on them. Yes, turn to your God for he will forgive generously. We've reduced the gospel down to come down here and say a prayer. Come down here and, and, and just, just say, God, I'm sorry, I need you. God, forgive me, and that's enough. Let me explain something to you. There's a word here that Jesus preached over and over and over again. There's a word here that, 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 that John the Baptist preached before even Jesus came on the scene. And that is a word called repentance. And that is a word called turning from your old ways and becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's not just saying a prayer. It's becoming that new creation that God has created inside of you. It's, it's, it's actually that transformation that happens. It's, a, it's transformational. This is one of the reasons why, you know, I love the fact that we baptize people. And I get fired up about that. And I love that. 
But I don't necessarily keep count. You know why I don't keep count? Because there's a lot of folks that come in here, they'll, they'll say something, they'll get baptized, and then they won't come back to church. Now, I don't care if they come to this church or not. They don't go back to any church. And I'm like, so God so radically transformed you that you got hit by a Mack truck. The Holy Spirit of God entered into your soul and radically transformed you, but you got no desire whatsoever to find God or to seek God or to understand more about God. I'm like, I don't see it. I don't see it. God so radically transformed you that you came to church for about two more weeks and you were done with it. You didn't get saved. You just got wet. You just got wet. And you're walking around out there. People walking out around out there thinking, well, I'm saved. Isaiah says, turn. Turn from your wicked ways. Let those wicked people, let them go a new direction. Let them be a new creation. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God. He will forgive generously. You know what you got to do, though? You got to turn. You got to turn. Everybody just wants him to forgive generously. They don't want to turn. Isaiah says turn. And God says something here. He says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know what he's saying? He said, I know you don't get it. So I know this doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute in your mind. I know, I, I know that it's hard to wrap your mind around what I'm saying and the fact that I could be a holy God, completely just and completely good, and that I could, I could crush my son for the purposes of bringing you into fellowship with me. I know that it's hard to wrap your mind around all that, and I know it's hard to, to imagine that I have nothing to offer to God, but he wants to give me everything. I know that it's hard to imagine that he wants to give me the finest milk and wine. He wants to give me all of those things, and I have nothing to offer him. I know it's hard for you to believe that, that God would do this. He says, but you, don't, you can't wrap your mind around heaven. You, you can't wrap your mind around my ways. You can't wrap your mind around me. You know why, why I think he says this? I think he says this because he says, you've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. That's what it boils down to. If we can't wrap our minds around him, the only option we have is to trust him, that God, you said it, so it's going to be done. You said unfailing love, so I believe unfailing love. You said milk and, and wine, so I believe milk and wine. I believe the finest. It's about trusting completely and saying, yes. You said, God, I, if I trust you completely, you have complete control in my life. Whatever you have for me, I am good with it. I am good with it. Because your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. He's got to explain a little bit here. He says, the rain and the snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow and producing seed for the farmer and the bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to. And it will prosper everywhere I send it. This is a passage that is often used to encourage preachers. It's not really used in context that way. So we say this a lot, that my word will not return void. And we say that to encourage preachers so that they'll, 
you know, I know that if they get up there and they do their best to, to share the gospel and they preach their heart out that, hey, don't worry about it, even if the message really stunk, that God can still use it, okay? It's not really what it's saying here, okay? It's not really what it's saying here. What it is saying here is that God's plan, his works, what he has promised is going to work itself out. It's going to see itself to completion, if you will. That he made the promise, and it's going to happen. He said, he said you, see, you see the dew falling on the ground? You see the, the rain falling on the ground and the snow falling on the ground? He says, it's got a purpose, and it's watering the ground. It's causing it to grow, producing seed for the farmer and the bread for the hungry. He says, it's the same with my word. He says, I send it out. Who sends the rain and the snow? God sends it, right? He says, same with my word. It's accomplishing what I set it out to do. The, the, the promises that I've made, the, the things that I said that were going to happen, the fact that I sent my son, it's all accomplishing the work that I sent it out to do. These are the things that I said were going to happen, and they're, they're, they're completing themselves, if you will. And here, we've missed that sometimes, I think. That he who has begun a good work in, in him will see it to completion. Sometimes we fail to see this. We, we see that God has the, the power to radically transform somebody, to bring them from death into life when, when somebody's soul is saved, but we don't think that he has the power to transform them, to rip them out of the sinful condition that they're in or have power over the sin that they're, they're dwelling in right now. We, we, see, we think that, that God just doesn't have the power to sanctify them. There's that big churchy word that just means that they continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. They continue to grow and grow in their desire to know who God is. And to have a greater hatred for the sin in their life and the, the sin that was in their life, to have a greater hatred for that. The same God that has the power to do that has the same power to rip those things out of our life. Sanctifying, real, Holy Spirit power. He says, I said it. I'm going to do it. He even ends on a, a high note, if you will. In my opinion, chapter 55, he says, you will live in joy and peace. You will live in joy and peace. Oh, good. I thought that I was still going to have broken relationships or family members that hated me or I thought that I was going to be broke and, and not have any money in my bank account, but it says I'm going to have joy and peace. What did we talk about a minute ago? We said all that other crap that you're investing in, that does not going to be in a hill of beans later on. All that stuff is going to be going away. When you focus on what really matters and you focus on what really counts, that's when you're going to have joy and peace. When you focus on the eternal and not the temporal, the eternal and not the right here, right now, when you start investing in, in, in the relationship with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, when you start pouring your time and energy into that, you're going to have joy and peace in a way that you're not going to be able to comprehend, a way that you're not going to be able to wrap your mind around, a, a way that is higher than the ways that you can think that you're possible, capable of, right? 
It says you, you, you're going you're to have joy and peace beyond what you thought that you could have. Even if I gave you all the relationships and all the money and all the junk, even if I gave you all that, it's so much higher than that. It's real joy and real peace. Knowing that you'll one day step from this life into the next and you'll be in the presence of the Father and not in a place called hell. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song. The trees of the field will clap their hands. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where nestles grew, myrtles will sprout up. These events will bring great honor to the Lord's name. And there will be an everlasting sign of his power and his love. He says, you know what's going to happen? Fruit. Fruit. There's going to be transforming power that's going to happen in your life, in the life of the people around you. Because I set out to accomplish it. I'm going to accomplish it is what God has said. It's going to be something that's going to happen that's going to be so transformational it's going to blow your mind. It's, you're not going to be able to even think the way God thinks about it. He says, you're going to see evidence. And, and the mountains are going to shout. And the thorn bushes are going to go away. All of that stuff is going to fade into the background. And all you're going to see is God's glory. You know why he sent his son to the cross? It was for God's glory, that God might be glorified. Through you and in you. You know, you know what you're supposed to proclaim as a representative of the kingdom of God? It is the glory of God. The fact that you have been transformed. You had nothing to offer God. You had nothing to give to him. But he gave you everything. And he gave you, you milk and wine and the finest of the fine. Even though you had nothing to offer God. That he had great lavish mercy on you. And it was his good plan to send his son to the cross. To make him bear the punishment for all the, the sin and the nastiness and the filthiness in your life. You know what you need to do? Come. Come. While he can still be found. While he's still near. Come. Don't do it in some superficial way. Say, I want to get down here and I want to pray a prayer. No, 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 no. Repent. Repent. Turn away from self and turn towards Jesus. Let, let the sin, let, let the, the heaviness and the burden and the shame and all of that, let it weigh heavy on your heart so maybe it will crush you to the point where you say, not, thy will be, not my will be done, but thy will be done. God, whatever you have for me. I can't do it my way anymore. My way leads to death. Your way leads to life. I trust you.